Under number four, where it says uh, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and then Timothy. Scratch out Timothy and write Paul. That last one there should be Paul. So we'll get to that there in a minute. Philippians 2, uh, we're going to uh, finish up the book. We uh, started last week. We'll finish it up this week. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Once you found that, stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read down to verse number 11. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and uh, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That poem put right there in the center of the book is uh, the, uh, it is the center of the book. All of the rest of the book centers around that. And so uh, we are looking at a, a, a lesson here, a Bible study here, developing the mind of Christ. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Let's pray. God, help us this evening as we uh, jump in here, uh, Lord, that we would think like you, that we would think the way that you want us to think, that we would uh, live our life uh, trying to walk in uh, your steps, trying to do it the way you would do it uh, in each and every scenario, Lord, and where we don't know, where maybe the word of God doesn't speak on a topic or on a decision uh, directly. May we be quick to look at biblical principles and then beyond that, through wisdom to seek your face for right decision-making. And, Lord, may we conscious, uh, consciously uh, do that. May we have your mindset. And so, Lord, uh, the more we think like Christ... Batteries are no good, so you're just going to have to give me the... There you go. Okay. Developing the mind of Christ. So we began last week um, looking at uh, chapter 1 and then chapter 2 uh, down uh, through uh, verse number 11. And so just to quickly review here, the book of uh, Philippi uh, was written from a Roman prison, most likely, uh, as he was awaiting trial there. He, um, uh, he wrote the book to those that he had gathered together and started uh, with his trip there with Silas uh, you may remember Acts 16 where he was beaten and thrown in prison. He sang and prayed at midnight. The, uh, uh, the prison was shaken with an earthquake and they were set free. And so there's the first three points we looked at last week. The evolution of the church. We looked at its growth process, its, its, its gospel preaching. And we said that you cannot grow as a church if you're not willing to go with the gospel. Uh, growing is going and going is growing. Uh, giving the gospel helps us to grow. And by growing, we get better at giving the gospel. The two feed into each other and they're important. We talked about how that uh, for the church to be better, the individuals within the church must be better. And so uh, this isn't a, a matter of, well, someone else will do it. This is a matter of we all have to do it. And you have to stop and ask yourself the question, if everybody at White Oak Baptist Church was as enthused about our church as I was, where would the church be? If everyone was as faithful as I was, 
what would the attendance look like on a sunny night or a Wednesday night? And I know uh, by and large I'm preaching to the choir because you all are here on a Wednesday evening. But if everyone read their Bible as often as I read my Bible, uh, how spiritual would I church, uh, our church be? If everyone distributed gospel tracts or invited people to Friend Day the way I'm inviting people to Friend Day or passing out gospel tracts, what would uh, what would that look like? And so that's a great way to go about it. But the church grew. It evolved. It came around. And that process, uh, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And uh, Christ is still growing and building his church. I uh, think about uh, where the Bible says uh, that uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And we have a whole lot of church history to look back on. And we have been given a lot more information. Uh, we've, we've had times to, a time to, uh, uh, digest the scriptures and to understand them. And I believe God one day will hold us much more accountable for what we do with what we know than He did some of the early churches who didn't even have the whole canon of scripture. So we looked at the evolution of the church. Number two, we looked at Paul's expectation of life. And in chapter one, verse 21, he said, for me to live is Christ or equals Christ. To die is gain. And so Paul's life, in essence, was the gospel. That was his uh, inner conflict. Do I stay here and keep planting churches and preaching Christ? Or is it better that I just go ahead and die and go on to heaven? That way I don't have any more problems and, and, and I, I can, uh, and I can have, uh, uh, everything that heaven has to offer. Then we looked at his outer concern. We talked about how that he wanted the church to strive not with each other, but together, strive together for the gospel or the, the faith of the gospel and that uh, they do so against the devil and not against each other. Then we looked at the epitome of Christianity. We talked about how that verses one through four give us the formula that tells us how to have the mind of Christ. Um, and then uh, verses five through eleven or six through eleven tells us how the this was fulfilled in the person of Christ. And so Jesus himself, he uh, he left heaven. He came to earth and he was that servant we talked about on Sunday morning. He uh, suffered in our place. And then uh, now one day uh, uh, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That, that will be a great day, I'm sure, for Jesus, but also uh, for us as we bow our knee. And then those who hate Jesus are forced to bow their knee. And so that gets us caught up to everything we covered last week. Let's jump in and look at the rest of the book here and see how it relates to this concept of having the mind of Christ. Number four there, uh, some examples of Christ's model, some examples of Christ's model. Now, the ultimate example was given to us. Uh, and, and epitomized to us in chapter two, verse six through verse 11 in the person of Jesus. Nobody lived the Christian life better than Christ. That's why it's called the Christian life, because it's modeled after Christ. But Paul is going to lay out for us three examples of people who lived out exactly what was taught or at least made an effort to live it out or made an effort to live out some form or some portion of it and did a great job uh, with it. The first person we see here is uh, Timothy, preacher boy Timothy, and we see his deference, his deference. Look at chapter two and verse number 18. And here Paul is going to lay out for us 
how Timothy has the mind of Christ. It says there, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Chapter 2, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort uh, when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Underline verse 20 if you can. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, but ye know the proof of him that as a son with the, with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. He hath served with me in the gospel. Uh, him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon uh, I, uh, as I shall see uh, how it will go with me. So Paul is saying here, Timothy cares for you. It's natural for him to care for you. Uh, he and it says most men seek for their own, but Timothy seeks naturally for the things of others. It, it isn't that Timothy has to force himself to think about others needs. It's natural for Timothy to think about other people's needs. And then Paul gave Timothy maybe one of the greatest compliments he could give him. He basically said, hey, Timothy, as my son, has kept up with me. That's a compliment. Because if you look at the schedule Paul kept, you look at the mindset Paul had, you look at the the drive that man carried, and he said, Timothy has been step by step with me, lockstep with me, working in the gospel, giving the gospel, delivering the gospel. And the best thing I can do for you right now, since I'm locked up in prison, is to send Timothy with you so that he can take care of your needs. Isn't it nice to know, uh, or I hope at some point you have known a person that you know you can turn to when times are rough and you know that person is going to be there to take care of you. Going to be there to take care of you. That is supposed to be what a pastor does and is. A pastor is supposed to drop whatever he's doing uh, and come to your side in a state of emergency when uh, things are going wrong or to be there for you as quickly as he can be. By the way, that attitude of deference doesn't just uh, isn't just reserved for a pastor. That can be all of us. That can be all of us. That that isn't just a pastoral thing to do. That is a Christian thing to do. That is the mind of Christ to defer to others in their needs. Others, Lord, yes, others, may this my motto be so that when I have lived for others, I, too, may live like thee. And Paul told told the church here about Timothy, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. This is men who are lovers of their own selves. And may God give us men who care more about others than they do themselves. Women who care about others more than they do themselves. Um, when, uh, when your peer at work gets a raise, is there jealousy or is there excitement? You say, oh, well, well, I got passed up and they got the raise. Well, okay. What if you had gotten the raise and they would gotten passed up? Would you not want them to be excited for you? Um, are you looking for your own needs or are you looking for the needs of others? Uh, somebody next to you drops something on the floor. Is it your first reaction to reach down and pick it up and help them? Or is it to laugh at them? Or is it act like you don't care and walk away? Uh, it says here that he naturally cared for your state. He naturally cared for your state. 
Next, notice Epaphroditus. I have a hard time with his name. Epaphroditus. And notice his determination. His determination. Um, let's read the passage and I'll, I'll uh, fill you in on the details here. Look at chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, that guy, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the uh, more carefully that when ye sh- uh, see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Uh, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. So here's the story. Uh, the church of Philippi supported Paul as a missionary. And they had taken up some things, gathered together a care package of sorts, and uh, put this together to send to Paul as he was sitting in prison. And they put it in the hands of Epaphroditus and gave it to him to take to Paul. Well, as Paul, as he traveled from Philippi to Rome, he got really, really, really sick. He got so sick that he almost died. But instead of checking himself into a hospital or some sort of a a clinic or even resting along the way, he pushed forward in his sickness until he made his way to Rome and to Paul and he dropped the things at Paul's feet nigh unto death uh, right on his deathbed. And Paul had to make him get in bed and get better. And so uh, this man was determined not to take care of himself, that he was determined to take care of this missionary and to give to that person and love that person, regardless of uh, of whatever inconvenience it was causing in his life, in, uh, including and up to a great sickness that pushed death. And there was a determination there that he was going to get the job done. And so after he got better, Paul had pinned the, uh, the letter of uh, uh, Philippians and put it back in Epaphroditus's hand. And uh, uh, he would deliver the letter back to the church of Philippi. And so Paul's writing this and saying, hey, when you get this, I want you to understand how big of a sacrifice your 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 church member, Epaphroditus, made on my behalf and for the sake of the gospel. And you say, well, pastor, how does his determination tie back into uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus? Do you know that Jesus did not quit when the going got tough? He, he, he continued even when he was sweating great, great drops of blood. He continued uh, even when uh, he, he, he was beaten and he had a, a cross laid on his back. He continued when they were throwing stones at him and pulling out his beard. There was no stopping Jesus. And, and, and we forget this, I think, but at any point Jesus could have stopped and said, Enough. Enough. I'm not doing this anymore. I'll get to heaven and I'll ask Jesus this, but I guess Mark, you can mark this down as speculation on my part. I, I don't think that the greatest thing Jesus suffered the day he was crucified was the whip or the nails. 
I just don't think it was. Now, I'm not a wimp, okay? But I don't want to be whipped with nine horse whips in, in one handle, a cat of nine tails. I don't want nails driven into my hands and feet. Okay, I'm not lining up for that. All right, I don't want to be embarrassed and, and all of those things, uh, having people curse at me and spit in my face and put a bag over my head and punch me. I, look, I don't want to have any of that. And, and I would, if I had the power to call in angels to stop it, I probably would just from the physical side of it. But Jesus on the cross, he had to endure much more than just physical pain. He had to become my sin. And do you know the determination it took for Jesus to stay up there while he became the very thing he hated and allow it to sever his relationship for the first time in all of eternity with his father? Do you know the level of determination? The answer is no. Because you can't know. It's not possible to comprehend. So I speculate that the, the relational pain and the spiritual pain far outweighed the physical pain that Jesus went through that day. But Jesus was determined. I've got to tell you that in 2018, I really hope what I'm about to say is, is heard beyond just the ears. That some of you will get this all the way down into your hearts. And there's a whole lot of people that aren't here tonight that go to this church that really need to hear this. And so I hope some way or another that this will be conveyed to them. But we, we lack Christian determination in our commitments to Christ. We lack it greatly. If we, uh, if we wake up and we uh, have a, a slight headache, I can't go to church. I can't go to church. I don't feel good today. Um, if we're supposed to go out soul winning and it's raining outside, well, I, you know, it's raining, I, I can't, or it's hot or it's cold. Jesus didn't quit on those things. He, he was determined all the way to the death, all the way to the, 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 the great agony he suffered. And Epaphroditus, uh, we don't know uh, Epaphroditus' backstory. We don't know uh, uh, how old he was, uh, uh, if he was old enough to be alive when Jesus died. No doubt being in the early church, he knew the story really well and he had talked to people who firsthand account, that kind of thing. But Epaphroditus was so moved by the great determination of Jesus on the cross that he said, I, I told the church I was going to get this care package to Paul. I don't care if it kills me. I'm going to deliver this care package to Paul. You say, well, pastor, it was just a coat and maybe some cookies. What's the big deal? And I got to tell you that this is not the first time we find this level of determination by not someone other than the name of Jesus in the Bible. You might remember that Paul or, or David's mighty men broke through the line just to get a cup of water and then back through the line to take it to David. You say, well, that's trite. No, when God's called you to do something, you do it. Now, let me also be clear here is that if you've got hand, foot and mouth disease, do not come to church. I don't want you to share that. But on the other hand, we find the pettiest reasons to not come to church. I'll give you another one. A family's got two or three kids. And one of them wakes up and they're not feeling good. Oh, well, none of us can go to church. 
What? Um, if uh, in my home growing up, if one of us was sick, kids to sick, one parent stayed home in the morning, the other one stayed home in the evening, everybody else went to church. That's just how it was, because there was a determination. No matter what, I'm committed to what Christ has called me to. If Christ has called you to teach a Sunday school class, teach that class with all your heart. Don't let anything get in your way. You go at it. You're determined. You're going hard. And that was the attitude Epaphroditus had, was no matter what, I'm going to do it. And he almost died in the process. Let me just ask you tonight, do you have that, that determination that Christ had going to the cross. Is that part of what makes up your mentality? Notice uh, with the Apostle Paul, his direction, his direction. Uh, look over at chapter three and verse number four. It says there, though, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof. He might trust in the flesh, I more. So if anyone could trust in the flesh, it's me, Paul is saying. Look at verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, in Hebrew, the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Uh, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the, righteous, uh, touching the righteousness which is uh, in the law, blameless. But what things were pain to me, those I counted or gained to me, those things I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is that through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, uh, the, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. Let me pause here. Paul is saying if anyone uh, can, can look at uh, their credentials, can hold up their trophies, open up the trophy case and show all the accomplishments and all of the titles and all the accolades. And, and on top of that, uh, uh, the rich stock he had of being a both a Hebrew and a citizen of Rome. If anybody could say, hey, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what uh, who I am. Look what I've accomplished. Paul said, I could do that. But Paul said, I take all of that. And I compare it to a pile of dung. Now, that is a base way of talking, is it not? Paul said, go to the edge of the city and see where they uh, dispose of all of the excretion. And that's what I compare my accomplishments to. It's dung. It's a dunghill. Paul said, I'm not focused on that anymore. Christ has called me to preach the gospel and get that out. And Christ has called me to have his mindset. That's the direction I'm heading. Paul said this, he said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. How many here tonight want to know the power of Christ's resurrection? Boy, I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Then Paul said, I also want to know the fellowship of his suffering. Um, you have matured to a place in your Christian life. Well beyond most Christians, when suffering is brought into your life, instead of complaining about it, you thank God for it. You thank God for it. You all understand that the only way for us to have as much green in New England as we have is that we have to have weeks like this one. You all understand that? 
We've got to have periods where it rains, and it rains a lot. Otherwise, we would look like California, Southern California. I would rather have the rain so I can have the green than not have the rain and have desert everywhere. Okay, now stay with me here. If you're going to blossom and bloom and be everything Christ wants you to be, there has to be periods of storms in your life. Has to be. Has to be. God has to send the hard times your way. Or you'll never become the beautiful Christian He wants you to be. Now, you can either embrace that and be thankful for it, or you can be like some of you have been today. Is it going to stop raining? I hate the rain. Anybody here today feel that way a little bit? Okay, you don't want to admit it a little bit. Um, at some point, enough's enough, right? But, but I got to say, I'm thankful for the rain. And you can be thankful for the storms, or you can be grouchy toward the storms, but the storms are going to come, whatever your attitude is. And if you'll thank God for the storms of life, the problems of life, the hard times in life, the times where you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, the times you don't know how you're going to work out a relationship problem, the times where you just have to drop to your knees and beg and plead and ask God to help you through a problem, a trial. It's those times that God bonds you to his heart. It's those times that the storms are pummeling you. And then behind that is the great growth and the evidence of it. Look down at verse number Uh, Verse number uh, 12, not as though I had already attained, rather back up to verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either uh, were already perfect or mature, but I follow after uh, it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended or arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know uh, how to mark yourself as a mature Christian? One of the signs of a mature Christian? That you live life out the windshield instead of the rearview mirror. I talk to a lot of Christians who... All they know how to talk about is past victories or defeats. Now, I want you to imagine with me, we're riding down the road in a car, all right? And we pass a really bad accident. And traffic's moving really slow in front of you. And you're driving at maybe 5 or 10 miles an hour. And you just passed it. You look up in your rearview mirror. It's large in your rearview mirror. But in the grand scheme of your windshield, it's still very small compared to what's out your windshield. The further you get away from that, the smaller in your rearview mirror it becomes. What happens if you lit, if you drive down the road only looking at that rearview mirror? You're going to put yourself in the ditch. Or you're going to have to pull your car over the side of the road and just stare in that mirror to avoid an accident. I can't tell you how many Christians I know. All they want to talk about is the victories from the good old days. Now, please understand that I'm not trying to belittle any of the past of this church. I'm thankful for the past of this church. But Pastor Brown has not pastored here in over 12 years. I think now it's 14 years. And so if you enjoyed the glory days of Pastor Brown, hey, I want to at times look up in the rearview mirror and see that and be thankful for it. But I don't want to drive my car in the ditch looking in the mirror. 
I'm thankful for Pastor Peslak. He did a lot of good while he was here. But but we don't need to live with that in the mirror. Uh, on an individual level, you used to have a job that was great and you loved your job. And you can't land a new job that's right for you because you're focused up in the mirror looking at a past uh, thing. Or uh, you're looking up in the mirror at, at, at a past marriage, whether good or bad. Or you're focusing on things in your past. And what uh, Paul said here is he said, listen, I've not arrived. I've not got it all figured out. But this one thing I know, in my past there are some victories and in my past are some defeats. I'm not focusing on either one of those. I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. There are good things ahead of you, but you've got to put your eyes on it and you've got to go for it and you've got to drive with laser focus. Now, that rearview mirror is up there as you drive down the road. And at times you do need to look up in it to see things to remind you what's behind you to help you to drive forward. But you've got to focus out the mirror. And Paul said here, he said, my direction's right now. Let's let's tie this back into the mind of Christ with the Apostle Paul. Remember, we're talking about the examples here, some examples of Christ's model. Do you know how Christ was able to endure the cross? He was laser focused ahead at a time where he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God and the world was bowing to him. He was laser focused on the time that he was ruling and reigning in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And he knew he could not get there if he was not willing to endure the cross. Sometimes you have to look out the the, the windshield and you have to see what's ahead of you. And it may be tough, but you have to look past that, too, and see the great thing that's ahead. Paul's direction. So we see some examples of Christ's model. Number five, we see Paul's exhortation for unity. Paul's exhortation for unity. Notice here they're unified against corrupt doctrine. Unified against corrupt doctrine. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. By the way, someone pointed this out. I think this is great. What's the first word in chapter 3? Finally. You know how Paul, how, you know how we know that Paul was a Baptist? Because he started chapter 3 with finally and then went another two chapters. Paul was obviously a Baptist preacher. He had to wrap it up several times. Chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, if you've been coming on Wednesday nights for a while, you know that in some of the other books, we've been talking about these super apostles, remember, and how they're pushing uh, 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 circumcision and keeping the Sabbath and eating kosher and saying, you got to keep these Old Testament laws to go to heaven. And Paul is saying here, hey, you need to be unified Stick together. And the church of Philippi was obviously more unified than other churches. But he's telling them, keep a watch out for wolves in sheep clothing that come in the church and sow false doctrine among you. So they needed to be unified against corrupt doctrine. They also needed to be unified against carnal living. 
Lock arm. Strive together. Locked arm. Arm and arm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to march forward, locked arms with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you got to keep an eye out for the enemies of the gospel. And so the first enemy is corrupt doctrine. The second enemy that we need to be unified against, arm and arm against, is carnal living. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them. Mark them, which walks uh, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things for our lifestyle, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be uh, fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is uh, able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul said the other thing you've got to be unified against are people that come into your church that want to push you to live in a fleshly or a carnal way. Now, in Spanish, the word for flesh is carne or carnality. Carne means uh, meat or you've heard of chile con carne. That's chili with meat. And this is my carne right here. My carnality is when I allow this flesh of mine to sinful flesh of mine to lead and make the decisions. What happens when I let my uh, uh, body make the decisions? Well, I end up staring into the ditch I end up making my my belly my God. I end up making my my uh, hormonal desires my God. I end up uh, following the uh, if it feels good, do it mentality. And Paul said, hey, whoa, that is a good way to steer your church into the ditch. And if you're going to be unified for the gospel, then you can't be unified with what your flesh wants to do. And so shut down the flesh and don't live by self-reliance like we talked about Sunday night. Live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul's exhortation for unity, he said, listen, you've got to be unified against corrupt doctrine. You've got to be unified against carnal living. And then notice here, you need to be unified, letter C, against contentious relationships. There were a couple of women in this church, a couple of ladies in this church, who had decided they didn't like each other. And they were at each other's throat. And... Um, Good old um, uh, Epaphroditus, he reported this back to Paul, no doubt. Hey, sister, uh, these two sisters are at it with each other, and it's creating a ruckus and a stir in the church. And um, uh, maybe address that, and so the Holy Spirit did have him do that. Look at chapter 4, verse number 2. I beseech uh, you, uh, here's another name, Euodius, and beseech Sintia. Okay, we're going to go with Paula and, and Georgine, okay? Uh, I beseech Paula and Georgine that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, uh, with Clement also, and with others, my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. So when Paul was there in Philippi establishing the church, these two ladies were friends, and they were helping Paul do the work. But now they were at each other's throats. Let me remind you again tonight that you're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. There's not a person who goes to this church who is your enemy. Satan is our enemy. If you want to, uh, if you want to speak poorly about somebody, 
speak poorly about the devil. If, if you want to get on your phone and you want to text someone something salacious, call the devil the nastiest name you can call him. Call out sin, but let's not rip down each other. Now, uh, there are times where uh, a pastor is to address the church about heretics either in the church or outside the church. But even then, the emotion is to be aimed at the sin within the person, uh, not the person. And Paul said here, he said, these two ladies, I beg you, I beg you ladies to get along, get along, be of the same mind in the Lord. What's he saying here? Hey, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put on his mind and think like he does. Number six, lastly, we see Paul's expression of God's faithfulness, Paul's expression of God's faithfulness. Now, Philippians uh, is quickly becoming my favorite book of the New Testament. And there's so much in here that's just so rich. But many of the verses that uh, we, we all uh, uh, long-term Christians have committed to memory can be found in Philippians. There's just really rich verses in here. And Paul's going to talk about how faithful God is and how we need to be, uh, we need to be right toward His faithfulness. No, notice letter A, our attitude. Our attitude. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Can anybody in there find room for complaining? How about gossiping? How about running people down? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Boy, that's the attitude that ought to embody us. Why is it that I can be rejoicing? Because God's faithful. He's faithful. Um, I can count on Him day after day after day after day to keep His promises. Do you have an attitude that rejoices or do you have an attitude that is at times struggling? If I'm going to answer that question honestly, my attitude struggles sometimes. Am I too transparent for you guys? Is that okay that I kind of open up and, and tell you that I'm not some perfect Christian that's got this whole thing figured out? Um, I complain sometimes. I, I wake up some mornings and I'm grouchy. And my poor family's got to deal with me. Not, not too often, but it happens sometimes. Um, um, I, I, uh, I sometimes assume the worst motive about people. Not always. Not real often, but it happens sometimes. And I'm thankful that I've got a wife who knows how to lovingly tell me, you need to rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> and again, it says rejoice. Um, she knows how to do that without hitting me over the head real hard. But we need to have the right attitude. Let her be notice our attention. Now, let me show you something about Philippians 4.8 that maybe you've never seen before. Last year, my wife did a Bible study in the uh, ladies' event. And she went over this verse. And as her and I were studying it together, uh, it, it was sort of a team effort. But we, we found something in this verse that is very powerful. I, I've had this verse memorized since I was a young guy, but really didn't discover this until uh, just last year. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren. Again, finally. Here, go, here Paul goes again, closing up again. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. 
So um, uh, I heard a preacher one time coin this verse as Thajipal. I said, Thajipal? He said, yeah, true, honest, just, pure, lovely. Thajipal. I said, well, that's kind of a lame way to remember the verse. But you know what? It worked because this is like 10 years later and I still remember that. So, uh, But true, honest, just, pure, lovely. Uh, if it, uh, uh, a good report, if there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. Okay, well, that's great, Paul. Uh, is that just po- is that just poetry in the Bible or is there more to it than that? Here's what I took out of this verse. If you have a thought, you need to put it up against these things. And if it doesn't check out on all of them, you don't need to be thinking it. All right. Let me give you an example. If I were to say to you something that someone else did that was terrible and it was a fact, you could say, is it true? Uh-huh. Okay, it's true. Um, is it honest? Okay, all the facts check out, so you could say it's honest. Is it just? Well, is it just for me to just share that with everybody? Not if it's not everybody's business. So I don't even need to be thinking it. Okay, let's keep going. Is it pure? If their action was sin, and I dwell on it, whether the facts of it are accurate in my head or not, If it isn't pure, I should not be dwelling on it. Um, Is it lovely? Okay, well, there you go again. I need to throw it out. Uh, Is it a good report? Me dwelling on someone else's sin, that's not a good report. I don't need to be thinking about it. So as you begin to develop the mind of Christ, again, that's what the whole book's about. Think on these things. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus, our attention. What is our thoughts on? Um, we, 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 we do this all the time. We, we create these things called mind monsters. Mind monsters. Where we take this little thing and we dwell on it and dwell on it and dwell on it and dwell on it. And it becomes this gigantic monster in our head. And the truth is, if we just gone back to Philippians 4, 8 and said, is it true, honest, just, pure, lovely? Is it of a good report? Uh, does it bring virtue? Does it bring praise? Okay, which one of those nine did it violate? And if it violated any of the nine, then throw it out. Then throw it out. And when you get to a place where you can start checking all of those things, uh, all of your thoughts up against that, what you'll find is that your your thoughts Please the Lord. It pleases the Lord. So our attention. I quickly hasten here. Letter C. Notice our ability. Look at verse 13. Again, another quotable verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I preached a sermon on this uh, a couple of years ago entitled, Does Philippians 4.13 mean I can do whatever I want or I can do anything? And the answer is no. I can do all things through Christ, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And remember where this was written This was not written by an athlete on a basketball court or a football field. This was written by a man sitting in prison. Okay, sitting in prison. He didn't mean that if you want to dunk a basketball, just think real hard and put Christ in it. And you can run up and get that extra four inches to put it down. Or you can outrun someone in a hundred meter dash. That's not what that means. What that means is that I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So if Christ has called you to do it, 
then he's going to strengthen you to do it. So where do we get our ability to walk the Christian life? We get it through Christ. Many Christians burn out for the Lord and they just can't keep going. They can't go any further. And uh, they, uh, they 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 throw in the towel and they quit uh, prior to the time God wants them to to step to the side or sit on the sidelines. And the answer is they were doing it through their own power. They weren't doing it through the power of Christ. So that's where we get our ability. And letter D, notice lastly, our anticipation, our anticipation. Look down at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Um, we don't need to fret over how our bills are going to get paid. We don't need to fret over where our next job is going to come from in a time of unemployment. We don't need to, to worry about those things. Why? Because my God's going to supply. It says shall supply all your need. Not all your wants. Not all your wants. He may not give you that new Tesla that you want or whatever it is. He may not give you the, the greatest, latest pair of shoes or handbag or or uh, or uh, shoes or clothes. Or he may not give you the new house that you want. He may not give you that new job that you want, but he's going to supply every need that you have. And listen, we can take great glory in, antici- in anticipating that God is a supplier. He's our provider. Amen. And so that's the mentality that a Christian's to have. Those six things very well describe the book of Philippians. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Good thing to do be go home tonight, take out that list and say, where can I do better in thinking like Christ?